When we were kids, we played the game of chase or, or tag. <clears throat> it was that game where someone was it, right? And, and they hid their eyes and counted to ten and yelled, ready or not, here I come. Everyone else ran, spread out, because you didn't want to get caught by it. You didn't want to get tagged, because if you got tagged or captured, then you had to go to jail, right? Or you had to go to the dungeon or whatever you called that place. There was, there was one way to avoid going to jail, and that was to make it to base. And you, get, you get home. You're safe then. So you, you wanted to try to avoid it and make it to base, because then you knew you'd be safe. In Joshua chapter 20, we, we come to a life-or-death game of tag. Serious consequences, literally life and death. There is, there is someone chasing and there is someone running and there is a base. And if that person gets to base in time, they'll be safe. God, as a form of protection, at several times in the Old Testament, required that this safe place, this base, be built. You find it in Exodus chapter 21 and Numbers 35 and again in Deuteronomy chapter 4. But when we get to Joshua 20, it actually happens. It's not just God telling them to do something in the future. They actually implement this idea of a safety, a base. Except they didn't call it base in Old Testament. They called it cities of refuge. Places you could go if you were in a specific kind of trouble... And you would be taken in and you would be protected for a period of time. Joshua chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. When they flee to one of these cities, they are to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of the city. Then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place to live among them. If the avenger of blood comes in pursuit, the elders must not surrender the fugitive because the fugitive killed their neighbor unintentionally and without malice aforethought. They are to stay in that city until they have stood trial before the assembly and until... The death of the high priest who is serving at that time. Then they may go back to their own home in the town from which they fled. So God, as he's establishing a nation, a people, and certainly as they're settling in the promised land, God has to deal with issues of justice, criminal justice, social justice, and and how issues of justice are going to be handled. And this is an example of one particular case of justice. If someone... Unintentionally or accidentally, is how the NIV translates it, kills another person. So, so we've, we've got kind of two characters here. We've got the, the person who accidentally, unintentionally killed someone else. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't know that their actions were going to lead to this person's death. There was some ignorance on their part as to how this was going to play out. Or they didn't mean to. It was a, it was a total accident. Other places in the Old Testament, like Numbers and Deuteronomy that I mentioned, they say things like, uh, if the person didn't lie in wait 
for the other person. In other words, they didn't plan it out. Like they weren't hiding and scheming and waiting for that person to come along and then they pounced on them. If that's the case, if it was unintentional, accidental, then they can go to the cities of refuge. So you got that character. Then, then there's another character that the Bible gives the phrase, the avenger of blood, right? Anybody watch the Avengers, Marvel comics, that's, that deal? Yeah, when you go see those movies, the, the Avengers are trying to get back at the bad guys, right? They're trying to avenge the, the badness of whatever that person did. The avenger of blood is similar to that. In the Old Testament, if you killed someone, a person in their family, their closest relative, could then pursue you and kill you for killing their relative. That's the avenger of blood. And, and God realizes kind of in the structure that we're in, if you kill someone accidentally, there's really no recourse for you. And so that family member, that avenger of blood, is going to pursue you and chase you and try to kill someone, try, try to kill you. And so you need a place where you can find refuge. And that's what the cities of refuge were for. You would come there. You would plead your case. You would say, look, this is what I did. And the elders would, would listen to your story, and then they would admit you into the city of refuge. Now, the, the dominant principle here, the dominant point that God makes, not just here, but all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, is a very simple one. <clears throat> it's just a simple principle that life is precious in God's eyes, all life. And that the taking of another life is a big, big deal, even if you didn't mean to. Even if you didn't mean to, it's a big deal for you to take the life of someone else. Accidentally, unintentionally, intentionally. The Bible deals other places with murder and, and killing and in, intentional killing. Either way, intentional or unintentional, Joshua 20, this idea of cities of refuge is communicating it's a really big deal. When someone loses their life. Because life from the very beginning was created in the image of God. Therefore life has intrinsic value. Regardless of the age of the person. Regardless of the popularity of the person. Regardless of the socioeconomic status of the person. Regardless of the race of the person. Or the nationality of the person. Or what language they speak. Or how they look. Every single life is valuable. And we live in a country that systematically is devaluing the life of humanity. We, we live in a country where the unborn is killed by the thousands. <laughs> not, not just killed, dismembered. And we are a nation that has given our approval to this. We live in a country where the life of the aged, the life of the disabled, is continually devalued. The violence that we see day after day, week after week, you turn on the television, the taking of life, violence, absolutely lack of respect for life and humanity and the image of God in other people. It's a world that we're in. Just this week, our televisions, the internet, 
our push notifications on our cell phone lit up all week with the taking of life, the loss of life. Because in addition to the thousands of people we don't know who died this week of natural and unnatural causes are these people, Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, Brent Thompson, Patrick Zamripa, Michael Kroll, Michael Smith, Lauren Ahrens, killed in a car, killed at a convenience store, killed while providing order to a protest march. People who were alive one week ago and aren't alive today. And I, and I know there are circumstances. I, I know there is evidence that may come out or come to light in the future that maybe we don't know everything about right now. I also know there are opportunists. There is political gamesmanship continually going on. I also know that we all have a tendency to run to our group and view what happened through the lens of our group and the way our group tends to see the news. Because as a nation, we're We're quick to assign blame on the one part and defend blindly on the other part. We are quick to condemn and to exonerate. It's almost a sport for us to get on the right side and to find evidence of our side. Because we can all find an article on Facebook that supports our side. We can all share articles that support the way I see this situation that absolutely proves that my side is right and my interpretation of these events are what actually happened. By the way, the term for that is confirmation bias. We are prone to find information that proves what we already believe and latch onto that, while at the same time dismissing information that would disprove what we already believe. We we all suffer from confirmation bias. We believe we're right, and we will find articles and videos that support what I already believe, and we will reject any articles that disprove what I believe. It's confirmation bias. All of us struggle with it. All of, all of us have it. We're all susceptible. The need to find evidence that my position is the right one only further solidifies the need for me to pick a side. To be on one side or the other. I have to be for one group, which by definition or by association means I have to be against the other group. Who sees things differently than I do? That I can't possibly believe 
that systemic racism continues to be a problem in our society and at the same time believe that the overwhelming majority of law enforcement personnel are good, decent, honorable people simply looking to serve their community. In our divided world, in our you pick a side, I can't believe both of those, even though both of them may very well be true. In our pick a side world, I can't believe that all lawlessness should be met with appropriate justice while at the same time believing that our country really struggles to enforce appropriate justice consistently across all people and all races and all colors. But both of those may be true. On my side, I want to attribute the actions of a disturbed gunman to their whole group. But I get offended when somebody attributes the actions of a disturbed gunman to my whole group. You see, we we have all of these flexible ways of us being always right and them being always wrong. But here's the problem. We aren't talking about sides. We're talking about human beings. We're talking about lives. Men. Husbands. Fathers. Sons. Friends. Alton Sterling. Philando Castile. Brent Thompson. Patrick Zemripa. Michael Kroll. Michael Smith. Lauren Arendt. They were people. People who were alive a week ago. And whose deaths are tragic. Whose deaths mean that someone made in the image of God had their life cut short. And much more than their physical life. More than just physically being men. Their eternal souls. Their eternal souls that will spend all of eternity in the presence of God are separated from God. The taking of a life, however it happened, whatever the circumstances, whatever the sides, is tragic and should be grieved and should be mourned. And we should not be in such a rush to get on the side that we think is right, that we forget. All life is valuable. See, from the very beginning, God said, I'm going to make humans in my image. They're going to bear my image. And as a result, their life is going to be intrinsically valued. And any taking of that life is a big deal. It is a big deal. The cities of refuge were created by God to affirm the preciousness of God. Life and the great tragedy when one is taken. As I mentioned, those in Joshua 20 specifically were for people who killed unintentionally, accidentally. No, it wasn't just for one group, it wasn't even just for the nation of Israel. God didn't say it's only this culture of people, it's only this race of people that can seek refuge. Verse 9 of Joshua 20 says, 
any of the Israelites or any foreigner residing among them who killed someone accidentally could flee to these designated cities and not be killed by the avenger of blood prior to standing trial before the assembly. The doors were open. It didn't matter what race or culture or language you spoke. If you needed safety, if you needed refuge, you could find it. And once you got to the gate, you would plead your case. You would tell them what you did. You would confess This is what I've done. This is what's in my past. I need refuge. And they would invite you in. And you would be protected from the avenger of blood, the person that was coming after you. The problem was you couldn't leave. And the Bible was very clear. If you leave the safety of the city of refuge, the avenger of blood could take retribution on you. No one could ransom you from the city of refuge. Numbers 35 gets into this. It says, your family can't come and like bring a lot of money and bail you out. It's not going to work that way. They can't raise enough money to, to ransom you out of the city of refuge. They can't do good deeds and get you out. You can't do good deeds. You can't do enough good deeds in the city of refuge to get out and go free. It's not going to work that way. You, you, you didn't get time off for good behavior. You didn't get paroled. Once you were there, you were there. Until. The only thing that could give you back your freedom in spite of what you you had done. The only thing that could give you back your freedom was if the high priest died. Those were the instructions. If the high priest dies, then everybody in the city of refuge goes free. They're set free. And they're not pursued anymore. And they don't have to pay the penalty for what they did anymore. They're set free. Because the high priest represented the sacrificial system. And if that doesn't make any sense to you, in the Old Testament, God gave this picture of the price of sin. And the picture was, when you sin, something has to be sacrificed. Blood has to be spilled. He was trying to say to the people, it's a big deal when you disobey God. It's a big deal when you reject God's ways and choose your own ways. It's a big deal. And so there was a system of sacrifice and the priest would accept these sacrifices, and he would put his hand on the animal sacrifice, and it represented the transfer of the sin of the person to the animal so that the animal bore the punishment in the place of the people. But once a year, the high priest would make sacrifice for the whole nation. The Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. He would go into the Holy of Holies, and at the end of that day, there would be a goat. He would place his hands on its head, and he would bear the sins of the nation. The high priest, at the top of that sacrificial system, God says, he alone can redeem those who are in the cities of refuge. His death alone can set free the people who are in the cities of refuge. Now, think about this. You've messed up. You, you, somebody's dead because of you. You have this thing in your past. And you're living in the cities of refuge day after day and you don't see your family and you don't have your freedom and you're, you're waiting and you're waiting. And, and after a while, don't, don't, just personally speaking, don't you think you're secretly hoping the priest dies? 
I mean, it's kind of morbid, right? I don't know if you pray to God that particular prayer, but I mean, after a while, don't you lay down at night and think, God, if it could just be tonight, something quick, I don't want him to suffer, but if it could just, maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow there'll be something. You begin to desire. The priest would die in your place, that he would set you free. So you waited, and you waited, and you waited. And the truth is, we all needed someone to die for us. We all needed a high priest. Jesus is spoken of in the prophets in, in the New Testament as prophet, priest, and king. He was the ultimate high priest who came to bear the sins of the world. He came to die in our place. You see, the priests in the Old Testament, they sacrificed day after day after day after day, year after year after year. It was never enough. It was never enough to take away all the sin because there would be more sin and more sin and more sin. The Hebrews even says it didn't really take away sin. It was just helping people understand that Christ was going to come. Even in the cities of refuge, when the high priest died, all the people who were in the cities of refuge had their freedom, but then there were new people who came. And another priest had to die. And after that priest died, more people. And another priest had to die. And another priest had to die. But one day, God's son, the great high priest, came. And he died once for all. So that sins, past, present, and future, could be done away with. Hebrews chapter 10 says, Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, speaking of Jesus, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy by one death, he erased all of our sins. Not just the unintentional ones. I mean, this is why Jesus was the great high priest. is because his sacrifice didn't just take care of the ones that were accidents or the ones that you didn't really know about. His death took care of all of our sins. Because let's be honest, there may be some disobedience, there may be some sin in our life that was unintentional. We didn't know it. It was accidental. But there's a big pile of sin that we knew what it was walking in, right? Like we knew it was wrong and we did it anyway. And Jesus came so that even those sins could be taken away. Even those sins could be forgiven, that we could find grace. Even in those sins, what do we need to do? We need to come to him and admit it. Just like people came to the cities of refuge and said, look, this is what I did. We come to the great high priest. We come to Jesus. We say, look, this is what I've done. This is the disobedience in my life. This is the sin in my life. I believe that Jesus died for those sins. And I need refuge. I need the safety of the person of Jesus. According to Jewish tradition, the roads leading to the cities of refuge, the law required them to be well maintained. God said, look, if somebody needs refuge, I want them to be able to get there. You keep the roads clear. 
The law required that there be signs posted marking the way to cities of refuge. Wherever there was an intersection, there had to be a sign. City of refuge this way. If there was a ravine, the law required that a bridge be built across the ravine because if someone's coming for you, if someone's chasing you, you don't have time to go down in a ravine and try to climb back up the other side. God said, look, I want want the, the access to be clear. Make a bridge. Get them there. Keep the roads clear. Make sure there are signs. If somebody needs refuge, make sure they can find it. The cities of refuge, there were six of them in the nation. No city of refuge was more than a day's travel for any person in the nation. If you needed to find one, you could find one. If you needed rest, if you needed rescue, you could find it. They did everything they possibly could do to make sure people who needed refuge could get to the cities. And that's what Jesus has done. I mean, Jesus came to make the way clear. Jesus came to build a bridge between my sin and God's heart. Jesus came to unlock the door. That was the other law. you got to keep the doors unlocked because somebody needs to get in. you got to let them in. Jesus comes and unlocks the door to grace and forgiveness and salvation forever and ever. When Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, that's what he means. He described himself as the door. And the door's open. The door's open if you want to come. Receive forgiveness and grace and salvation and eternal life. Because we're all guilty. We're all guilty. Intentionally, unintentionally, accidentally. Describe it however you want. We're guilty. We've disobeyed a holy God. And Jesus came, the great high priest, to bear our burdens, to bear our sins, that we could be free. Because the other reality of this story is we all have an avenger of blood. There is someone seeking to destroy us. There is an enemy of our souls, the devil, who seeks every day to destroy you and your family and your dreams and your hopes. Seeks every day to destroy our society through conflict and hatred and racism and prejudice. Every day, his mission in life is destruction. Jesus even said it. He said he's coming to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he does. And that's why we need a refuge. That's why we need to run to Jesus. What about you? Have you done this? Have you run to the refuge that is Jesus? Have you come to Him at any point in your life and said, I'm guilty, I've sinned, I've disobeyed, but I believe you're the priest that died for me. I believe you're the God, the King, that lived and died and rose again for the forgiveness of of my sins. The the door's open. The way is clear. The bridge has been built. We just have to go. We just have to come to Him and seek refuge in Him. What, what What our world needs is they need more people who understand what it's like to live in the refuge of Jesus. We need more people who understand that Christ is our refuge and that in Him, races can be reconciled and people can be reconciled and life can be valued in Christ. 
We don't need more Democrats and Republicans. We've got too many as it is. We need people who have been changed by the love of Jesus and the refuge that he offers to their souls and who will stand on the road and say, it's that way, it's that way. They will be markers to the city of refuge who is Jesus, helping other people make their way there. That's what we need. Those are the people that we need in our society. People who will point to refuge in Jesus. Have you given your life to Christ? Have you you admitted your sin and, and received His forgiveness? If not, do it today. Whatever side you're on in the events that have taken place, look, give your life to Christ today and let Him begin to work those things out in you. Seek His refuge and His safety. In verse 2, God says to Joshua, I want you to designate these cities. Some translations say, appoint these cities. It's really the word that means gift. The idea is God is saying, look, this is going to be a gift to yourselves if you do this. Like if you build this refuge, if you do what I'm telling you, this is going to be a gift to you and to your people. This this is what salvation is. This is what refuge, redemption, being ransomed by Jesus is. It's a gift that you give you. The gift that Jesus paid for, that Jesus bought, that Jesus gives, and then you give to yourself. Give yourself the gift of refuge, of safety in Jesus. Don't don't continue to live for yourself. Don't continue to live your way. Run to the refuge who is Jesus. Let's pray. If you're here and and you've never trusted your life over to Jesus, do it today. Just like in Joshua 20, just come to him and say, all right, I know what I've done. You know what I've done. You know my past. But I believe forgiveness is in you, Jesus. Come into my life. And the Bible says he will. He will come into your life. He'll rescue you from sin and death. Give you an eternal home in heaven. If you've never given your life to him, do it today. We'd love to know about it. There's a place on the card where you can just say, yes, today I committed my life to Christ. We'd love to celebrate that with you. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus. And today you just need to be reminded he's a refuge. When these crazy times these violent times, these times where there are more questions than answers, and what's going to happen, and what did happen? How do I tell my kids about it? How do I have these conversations? With all of those questions, maybe today you, you just need to rest in Him. Rest your hope and your future in Him. He's the only one strong enough to carry it. No one else is. God, I pray that we would see you as our refuge. And when we're tempted to fear, 
and we're tempted to anger. We're tempted to overreact when we're not sure what to say to ourselves, to our kids, to our friends. In troublesome times, you are a refuge. You are a rest. You are our hope. And by putting our rest and our hope in you, let it remind us that every single human being is made in the image of God. And that no death should be trivialized. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to give you a minute. With everything that's happened this week, just take a minute and speak to God about what's on your heart. Pray for those who've lost loved ones this week. Pray for the fractured nature of our society that in Jesus there would be mending and healing and hope. Pray for your kids, pray for your grandkids. God, we need healing as a nation. But we won't be healed as a nation until we're healed as individuals. So help us to find our healing, our hope, our refuge in Jesus. Which in his name we pray, amen. Ask our usher.